the Central American nation of Nicaragua is no stranger to unrest. In 1823, the monarchy of the first Mexican Empire was overthrown and Nicaragua was incorporated into the Federal Republic of Central America. The Republic's 15-year history was a bloody one, fraught with civil war. In 1838, the Republic collapsed and Nicaragua became an independent republic. A bloody civil war soon broke out over whether or not the liberal city of Leon or the conservative city of Granada would become the nation's capital. The city of Managua was later chosen as a compromise. In 1912, as part of the Banana Wars, the United States invaded and occupied Nicaragua. For 21 years, Nicaragua remained a protectorate of the U.S. In 1933, in the wake of the Great Depression, President Herbert Hoover withdrew U.S. troops from Nicaragua. However, before the U.S. government left, they installed the American-backed Somoza family as hereditary leaders of Nicaragua. Soon afterwards, popular guerrilla rebel Augusto Cesar Sandino was executed by the Somozas, causing outrage throughout the country. The Somoza dynasty would rule Nicaragua for half a century, and the regime became notoriously brutal and corrupt. In the early 1960s, the left-wing Sandinista National Liberation Front was established. The Sandinistas would fight against the Somoza government for 30 years in the bloody Nicaraguan Revolution. During this time, the Contras, a brutal right-wing paramilitary organization, fought in support of the Somoza government. The U.S. government famously funded the Contras using revenue earned from selling missiles to Iran. In 1990, the revolution ended and Violeta Chamorro became the first democratically elected female head of state ever in the Americas. Today, Nicaragua is at peace, but President Daniel Ortega continues to face criticism for his association with the Sandinistas. Now, let's rewind a bit. After the turn of the 20th century, the U.S. invaded Nicaragua. Why did they do this, you ask? Well, there were a bunch of reasons, but the biggest reason was the proposed creation of a certain crucial type of infrastructure. Simply put, a canal is a waterway channel between two large bodies of water through which one can transport goods. Canals are extremely simple, and yet they can make or break international trade. In March of 2021, for example, when the Suez Canal in Egypt was blocked by a grounded cargo ship, global supply shortages were predicted if the canal wasn't unblocked within a short amount of time. Speaking of the Suez Canal, the ownership of a canal is usually a hot-button issue within a country that has one, as canals generate a significant amount of revenue. In the 1950s, the Suez Canal was owned primarily by American and European corporations. In 1956, Egyptian President Gamal Abdel Nasser nationalized the canal, giving all of the canal's revenue to the Egyptian government. In response, the UK and France encouraged Israel to invade Egypt, causing the Suez Crisis. Decades later, Panamanian leader Manuel Noriega was inspired by Nasser to nationalize the Panama Canal. 
As I discussed in the episode about Operation Just Cause, this did not go over well with the U.S., who previously controlled the Panama Canal. In Nicaragua, decades before the U.S. occupation, foreign powers tried to build a canal. Their efforts were hindered by the actions of one man, who took great risks due to his thirst for power. In doing so, this man made very powerful enemies that ultimately caused his downfall. I'm going to tell you all about him right now on Historia Obscura. Welcome to Historia Obscura. This is the 36th episode of this podcast, and I can't wait for you to listen to this episode. Special thank you to Patreon subscriber, Tom. If you want to receive a shout-out in every episode, among other benefits, help support this podcast by going to patreon.com slash historiaobscura and becoming a patron. One more thing, make sure to stick around for a little to hear a message about the sponsor of this episode of Historia Obscura, Anchor. If you want to make your own podcast, you'll want to know everything about how to use Anchor. William Walker was born on May 8, 1824 in Nashville, Tennessee. His father was an English immigrant farmer, while his mother was a member of the Norville family in Philadelphia's wealthy elite. Walker's uncle, John Norville, was the founder of the Philadelphia Inquirer. William Walker was a child prodigy, and he graduated high school at the age of nine. He went on to study law at the University of Nashville, which is now the site of Vanderbilt University, and at the age of 14, he graduated summa cum laude. Walker later studied medicine at the University of Edinburgh in Scotland and the University of Heidelberg in Germany. At the age of 19, he graduated from the University of Pennsylvania with a medical degree. After briefly practicing law in Philadelphia, Walker moved to New Orleans. There, he adopted staunch pro-slavery beliefs, and he began advocating for the U.S. government to invade Mexico and Central America and annex them as slave states. For this belief, Walker received very much support from the Knights of the Golden Circle, a secret society that supported Southern expansionism. In 1849, Walker moved to San Francisco. There, he became editor of the San Francisco Herald. Walker took part in three duels with critics of his work with the newspaper, and he was wounded in two of them. In 1853, he traveled to the city of Guaymas, located in the Mexican state of Sonora. There, he asked the Mexican government for a grant to create an American colony in Sonora. He supported this idea with the belief of manifest destiny, that is, the idea that the United States had a God-given right to rule from coast to coast. Unsurprisingly, Mexico refused, and Walker returned to San Francisco. He began recruiting supporters of slavery and manifest destiny into a militia, and he made plans to conquer Sonora whether Mexico agreed with it or not. 
On October 15, 1853, William Walker and his 45 militiamen marched into the Mexican state of Baja, California. In a short period of time, Walker was successfully able to capture the state's capital of La Paz. Then, Walker's militia invaded Sonora. After capturing Guaymas, Walker declared that all of the captured territory was the Republic of Sonora. He installed himself as President of the Republic with his law associate Henry Watkins as Vice President. On January 10, 1854, the Republic of Sonora declared independence from Mexico and Walker instituted a legal system modeled after that of the state of Louisiana. Much to the chagrin of the Mexican government, the Republic explicitly allowed the practice of slavery, which was banned in Mexico. Walker became something of a legend in San Francisco, and many residents of the city bought Sonoran bonds and even flew the Sonoran flag. Although Walker and his men had previously captured the capitals of Sonora and Baja California, his small force was unable to rule over vast swaths of the Mexican desert. Walker moved north from the city of Guaymas to Cabo San Lucas, before moving even further north to Ensenada. As Mexican troops closed in on Ensenada, Walker had no choice but to abandon the Republic of Sonora and flee back to San Francisco. In 1848, following the Mexican-American War, the American and Mexican governments had signed a strict peace treaty. As a result, when he returned to California, Walker was put on trial for starting an illegal war. However, in the era of manifest destiny, most Americans believed Walker had done nothing wrong. As a result, Walker was acquitted by a jury after a mere eight minutes. Following his failure to establish a new southern state in Mexico, Walker set his sights on another Latin American nation, Nicaragua. In 1854, a civil war began in Nicaragua between the Liberal Democratic Party and the Conservative Legitimist Party. Word of William Walker's annexation of Sonora reached Nicaragua, and Democratic President Francisco Castellón recruited Walker for help. Walker brought 45 mercenaries with him. Among them were three future Confederate officers, Burkett Fry, Robert Tyler, and Chatham Wheat. In June of 1855, the First Battle of Rivas took place, which ended in a stalemate. In September of that same year, Walker's forces defeated the Legitimists at the Battle of La Virgen. Shortly after the battle, President Castellón died from cholera. Walker became the new leader of the Democratic forces. On October 13, 1855, Walker captured the city of Granada and took control of the Nicaraguan federal government. In May of 1856, Walker's rule over Nicaragua was recognized by U.S. President Franklin Pierce. After a brief provisional presidency by Patricio Rivas, Walker became the new president of Nicaragua. Soon afterwards, he repealed all laws prohibiting slavery in Nicaragua in an attempt to woo southern states in the U.S. into supporting his regime. 
but when Walker approached Costa Rican President Juan Rafael Mora Porras, seeking to open diplomatic relations, Porras refused. He was concerned that Walker's predominantly Protestant mercenary force intended to annex more Catholic nations in Central America. When Poros began mobilizing Costa Rican troops for battle against Nicaragua, Walker preemptively invaded Costa Rica in March of 1856. However, Walker's forces were soon pushed out of Costa Rica at the Battle of Santa Rosa. Costa Rica immediately began a counter-invasion of Nicaragua. At the Second Battle of Rivas in April of 1856, Walker suffered a crucial defeat, losing over 200 soldiers. During this battle, Costa Rican national hero Juan Santa Maria sacrificed his life by setting one of Walker's encampments on fire while still inside. Also during the battle, Walker intentionally dropped diseased corpses into the wells of Rivas. This caused a cholera epidemic that would later go on to kill 10% of the population of Costa Rica. After this incident, Walker's forces were disavowed by all of the southern states of the U.S. that had previously supported him. Walker had flown too close to the sun, and he had made some powerful enemies back in the U.S. Prior to William Walker's invasion of Nicaragua, the U.S. had begun making plans to build a canal through the country. In the days before the creation of the Panama Canal, having a direct connection between the Atlantic Ocean and the Pacific Ocean would have been a game-changer for global trade. One of the largest proponents of a canal in Nicaragua was American shipping magnate Cornelius Vanderbilt, who lived in New Brunswick, New Jersey. Under the previous Nicaraguan government, Vanderbilt's accessory transit company was given the commercial rights to the land intended to be used to dig the canal through. When Walker invaded Nicaragua and installed a pro-southern government, it threw a wrench into American plans to build the canal. Vanderbilt in particular was worried that Walker's legalization of slavery in Nicaragua would make the nation more agrarian and therefore less interested in building a massive canal to conduct global trade. It later turned out that Costa Rica had invaded Nicaragua for very sketchy reasons. After learning that his business rivals had given money to Walker to seize the land from his company, Walker dispatched his own secret agents to infiltrate the Costa Rican government. They were able to convince President Porras to invade Nicaragua and get it back in friendly hands. Even crazier, it was later discovered that the U.S. government was in on Vanderbilt's plot. Their involvement became more apparent when the U.S. Navy was sent to capture Walker once and for all. In December of 1856, Walker burned the city of Granada to the ground and fled into the jungles near Lake Nicaragua. Finally, on May 1, 1857, William Walker surrendered to U.S. Navy Commander Charles Henry Davis. After escaping and attempting to return to Nicaragua, Walker was arrested again, this time by British forces. Rather than extraditing him to the U.S., Royal Navy officer Noel Salmon instead handed Walker over to the government of Honduras, who had previously issued a warrant for Walker's arrest. On September 12, 1860, 
William Walker was executed by firing squad in Trujillo, Honduras at the age of 36. Ironically, Cornelius Vanderbilt and the U.S. government never moved forward with the plan to build the canal. In 2013, the National Assembly of Nicaragua gave Chinese businessman Wang Jing permission to build a canal in Nicaragua. However, this plan has yet to come to fruition, and today, Nicaragua still does not have a canal. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Historia Obscura. This episode was very interesting for me to research. If you want to suggest an episode of Historia Obscura, send me a voice message at anchor.fm slash historiaobscura slash message. Feel free to leave your name and location, and if I like your idea, I'll make an episode of it and give you credit. Additionally, if you want to support this podcast, Go to patreon.com slash Historia Obscura and become a patron. And of course, I can't go without once again thanking this episode's sponsor, Anchor. They are by far the easiest way to make a podcast, so if you want to make your own, go to anchor.fm. With that said, this is Jack from Historia Obscura, signing off, but not for long.